Hello, Chini Magic family. Hope this finds you well. It is quite amazing that we're into the last couple of months of the year. It's quite unbelievable, actually. It has been a whirlwind of a time for us at Impact Africa Network, and we are looking to finish the, the year strong uh, with a major event uh, scheduled for the first week of December. Keep your ears and eyes open for that. This will be an experience uh, you will not want to miss. On the podcast this week, we have a slightly different uh, programming format for you than the typical interview style approach that we, we, we typically provide. As promised, we will continue to evolve our programming to keep things interesting, fresh, and relevant. And in that spirit, we are sharing our first Lunch and Learn as this week's episode. Lunch and Learns is where we invite people with diverse experiences to come and share their knowledge with our team at our, at our offices. This is a way of us leveling up our own knowledge and capacity as an organization, but also at the same time continuing to serve the broader ecosystem by sharing that content publicly. Our first Lunch and Learn guest is the irrepressible, high-energy Chris Muraguri, founder of MyCreve Infinite. Yeah, I don't know where he came up with that name, but it's uh, quite appropriate for the type of company that he's building. MyCreve Infinite is a startup doing some groundbreaking work in healthcare. Uh, their mission is to improve the patient experience in surgery, while at the same time helping doctors perform more effective and more efficient uh, surgical operations. I believe Chris and his team are well positioned to build quite an amazing company right out of Silicon Savannah. Um, I invited Chris to speak to us both because of his experience as a young founder out of Kenya and also to share his observations from a recent trip that he took to uh, observe the ecosystem in Bavaria, Germany and to give us some distinctions uh, that he, where he sees where there might be room for improvement or things that we can do better. So enjoy the podcast. My name is Chris Muragori. I'm the founder of Microbe Infinite. We, the company that I run, focuses on using 3D printing to uh, improve the outcomes of surgery. Yeah, the problem that we are solving is actually a five billion uh, population strong issue, because we, we all know it's general knowledge when you go for surgery, it's going to cost a pretty penny. Yeah, and if you consider that. Uh, a very, very small percentage of the population is insured, it becomes now a situation. So what are we trying to solve? How are we trying to solve it? Uh, we've been able to observe that the main variable uh, or the modifiable via variable in surgery is time. So a surgery that takes longer, it's more expensive. The wound is exposed for longer. Uh, the operation is definitely more complex. So the recovery time is longer. And if you look at the costs on the hospital, the anesthesia overhead costs, the theater itself is real estate, there's cost to that. On the patient uh, healing, if it takes, I mean, uh, if, 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 you have, if, you've, if you've broken a limb, you know it takes at least six weeks to have the cast. So if you have a, a cast going from the hip all the way to the ankle, you are pretty much sunk for the next three months. Yeah? So that is a cost. So the, the question that you are asking is, how could we be able to impact that? How can we be able to reduce that? So what you do is, uh, if you strategically use 3D printing, you are able to impact it. And this is how. Say someone has come in with um, a defect or a trauma, tumor, whatever, and they need to get fixed. So what you're able to do at the very basic level, you're able to take the patient's data uh, and then you create... 3D models, patient-specific models of the same that are one-to-one. -one. 
And then the surgeon, before they go into theater, they already have the model, they can plan the surgery, they can see where the defect is, they can, they can communicate with the patient. If there are implants to be prepared, they can be prepared before surgery. If there are bone crafts to be harvested, the measurements can be taken before surgery so that when they go in, they already have the data, and they go in, they open up the patient, do the resection, reconstruct, the outcome is improved. On average, we've been saving at least 25% uh, of the theater time, and that is significant. Considering we have a surgery taking 10 hours, 25% of that, you do the math. And if you look at hospitals that charge uh, a certain fee per minute, you now start seeing the, the figures now, the impact of that. It's important to live uh, according to your own philosophy. For me, mine has always been research first. It's, it's always been maintain a curious mind. And this company gives me that. So I'm always constantly motivated, having conversations, meeting guys, and constantly growing myself. We, we received an invitation by the AHK uh, to go for an exposure trip to, to Germany, Munich in particular. And an exposure trip is an exposure trip. You know, you, you know people call it benchmarking. Yeah? So it's, it's an exposure trip. So what happened was we've been in the startup so, so trying to offer here. So we know how the ecosystem works here. But then it will be important to also expand your horizon Kidogo, and then you're able to see what else is happening on the other side. So we were lucky enough to go to Germany and uh, we spent a week and it was interacting with startups, going to their accelerator hubs, incubation hubs, talking to founders, talking to different players in health and all that. And there are notable differences between here and there. Before you go into that, maybe mm -hmm. talk a little bit about something you said that was quite important. Which was? Which was, why, why do you think this happened. Why, did, why are they doing this? Is there the goodness of your heart? Yeah. What's the move here? Yeah. Um, the move by the Germans. As okay. far as I will say, as far as I, as far as I can tell, the, um, you know, we're not living in, a, in an island. We're not living in a silo. We're living in a geopolitical space. Yeah. Um, all the tech that we have right now, Facebook. LinkedIn, Google, they began as startups. You have to remember that. And they're the ones that are running the show. When they began, governments were blind to them. They were oblivious to them because uh, the technology of back then, the, the guys who had a say, they were industrials, industrialists. Yeah? Manufacturing was the thing. But then these small guys came in, just a couple of university guys, 20 years down the line, they're the behemoths. They're now shaping laws and data and all that. So any smart government will realize that the best way to be able to uh, secure their position in the future is to have a grasp on startups as they are coming up. That is what is called now a bit of soft power. So for example, let's say if all of you guys, um, you want to pursue this degree, and then you are taken to China, to the best university, taught Chinese, and then you still come back. You, you get, what's gonna happen. If a thousand of you has happened, 10 years down the line, it will be very easy for the, the Chinese government to be able to have a certain influence on, on things because you already gravitated towards that. It only takes a small critical mass of people to, to control a larger mass. So they I look at it, it's, it's also a bit of that kind of soft power. And we have to see from the fact, from the perspective of, um, in many ways, 
it is to your advantage to start looking at things in the macro. If you're in business and you haven't looked at the Pestele analysis of the macro environment, number one is political. So you have to start looking at the geopolitical things where you're going to be 10 years from now. Because you'll be here, should be somewhere else. And the world won't be as it is, it will be somewhere else. So you have to start looking at things from that kind of a bigger lens, rather bigger window. So now to the nitty gritty, the differences between what you observe between the system there, how things work. Mm. Um, where do I start? What kind of startups? What's the common denominator in most startups here? Is it hardware or software things? It's soft, right? Apps, yeah. uh, coding, anything to do with code. That's where most people um, have invested a lot of time in. And what, what's the level of cooperation between different guys on a scale of one to five, where one is very poor and five is perfect? Eh? One? How many for one? Those are two. Two. How many for two? How many for three? I think the guys who chosen one, the other ones, it's not a proper statistical figure, but it shows that we do not work in cooperation. Now let me even ask another one. What's the level of cooperation between startups and industry players? By that I mean banks, I mean uh, companies, I mean universities. One, uh, one being the least level of cooperation and five being most. How many think it's one? Or how many think it's five? So if you find that there is no cooperation between the industry and the startups, yeah? So, um, you see, well, one thing I observed when I was there, um, the, the startups, they work very closely with institutions. We were in Bavaria, and that is where BMW is, yeah? BMW knows IoT will help them in the sensors, and maybe, I mean, five years from now, if they get it right, they're gonna be, they're gonna be all right, so no. Allianz, the insurance that, that owns, I think, Bayern, the Bayern Stadium, yeah? um, they know that fintech and all that big data will have a good play, uh, will be beneficial to them if they start incorporating these things right now, five years to come. But who's really in the trenches doing the work? Is it BMW? Is it Allianz? Is it the big companies? Or is, or is it the small players? It's the small players. Sindo? Yeah. So they know that. And they, they actively uh, work with them. They actively cooperate with them. So you see that there's that element of trust between the behemoths and the small player. Because they understand the small guys, they, they have a different perspective of things. They are nimble and they are very highly motivated. So if we give them the money, if we give them the support, it will most likely be to your own benefit. Now... If you have a startup and you're trying to solve a technical issue, there's only so much you can do. So what's the most obvious uh, institute to work with to improve your technical capacity? University, right? But how many universities here, public and private universities here, are actively working with startups? Strath? Strath is trying, yeah? It's trying. But what about the 
Strat is only working on the business side, mostly. But then what about the technical area of things? Nairobi University, JQuart, Took, and all that. What about that? What was the level of cooperation between startups and that? It's almost as if there's a tab of oversight because as opposed to collaboration, it's more of a fight. No one wants to work with the other. Yeah. Especially when it comes to IP. Yeah. If you work with the university and you generate IP, man, you will be sad. You know? So, on the other side, I mean, I, I, I didn't study their IP laws and all. That was not my, my, my docket. Yeah? If you spend more time there, it will have been clearer. But you see that there's a, there's a very high level of cooperation between the university and the startups. And what is the impact of that? Let's say, for example, you're building um, an app in, not even an app, let's say you're building a hardware product and you do not know about the mechanics. It will be of the university's best interest to be able to assign a master student to come in and solve that problem and write a paper on it. Yeah? Because if they're able to do that, as a master student, they'll have a bigger perspective and it will actually validate the industrial application of what you're doing. And what happens to the startup? Two things, it gets validation, and number two, it solves a world problem. So you find that there, there's that very active participation between the university and here. So there you have it. Number one, there's a lot of cross-collaboration between startups. Number two, there's a lot of collaboration between startups and what are called the industry behemoths. And number three, there's also collaboration between universities. But then when they looked further at the kind of... Um, whether I'm, not, I'm not talking statistics. I'm only sharing my experience. Eh? So it should be taken for the absolute truth. There could be discrepancies if you go deeper. But from what I was able to, to observe, you'll find, um, for example, a company, a startup has a founder who's not a technical founder. But then he's brought in on board... Um, for example, if it's in engineering, an electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, industrial engineer, design engineer. Now all these guys are now building a product that looks like a small industry in itself. So they are solving a problem if let's say it's analyzing the cup, for example. So they're able to analyze the cup. They're able to not only analyze the cup, but then they're also able to design the cup, manufacture a better cup, uh, take care of the logistics, and the business end. So you find it's one startup that is complete on its own. But then here, there's a lot of wrangles. I think I've seen uh, from from um, companies trying to come up. It's a, it's a founder who wants to be seen and wants to take the limelight. And if anybody challenges the limelight, it's done. It's war. Gloves, gloves are off. However, um, the the last thing that, that that I saw was the approach to market, which I think is very important, because here, here I'm not talking about uh, e e things or other soft software app startups, about hardware hardcore things. Yeah, you find that a significant rather the larger portion of the revenue comes from export. You have to really realize that. Yeah. All of us here at pesa is only, but it's only here. <laughs> yeah, if you go, if, if you export things to China, 
if you have even if it's a even if you have a fancy cup that is made of bamboo you won't sell it you will sell it maybe in china or somewhere else yeah but i i, I haven't seen many startups here that are really focusing on on, on export and here's the thing there's a there's a company called mawa in bavaria they sell hangers cloth hangers and they have a revenue of 1.2 billion euros selling hangers 90% of their revenue is export makes sense you should now start thinking about if if you're going to start a company don't solve a problem that is relevant here but it also has a global uh, footing and then if you do that you, you increase your chances of succeeding I have a question, but it's more of your background. I'm just listening to the beginning. You seem to have a medical background? Medicine? Pharmacy. Pharmacy. Mm. So, I mean, ideally, I'm just, of course, no one go to it, but mm. medicine seems to be in Kenya, Africa, one of those. You can get a job easily with medicine and sustain yourself for a long time. Mm. So, at what point did you decide not to? take the path that has been determined and decide, I want to start my own startup. What was that, what call it, eureka moment that made you switch and say, you know what, I don't want to do this thing that everyone does, let me do my own thing. Um, yeah. the, the thing that made it take a leap was, I began asking myself questions like, um, how come I've never seen a pharmacist practicing 10 years down the line? Can see an engineer, can see an engineer, civil engineer. You can see he's building a road with a helmet and the highways and what have you. But 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 it started becoming apparent that um, the course that I was in, it there are two ways it could go. Either I go into academia, or I open up a chemist. But then, man, that thing is it's difficult. If if you, I mean, if you see the kind of. Uh, difficulty it is to grasp the dynamics in drugs and all that it's incredible but then now if you're told that the the limits of where you can go here in kenya is to open up a shop you will be very sad very quickly <laughs> yeah that, that that's the truth so um and then also at that time i was having my own challenges in all of us normally struggle with the questions of um what am I supposed to be doing? You know, that's a age-old question. What next for me? What am I supposed to be doing? So I was asking myself a lot of those questions in uni. And then there was this particular day when I realized that uh, after my first startup failed, and then I was now slowly working on 3D printing, I realized that, wait, this is, I'm more, I'm getting more satisfaction from this. If I focus the next five years in 3D printing, and if I say focus the next five years in academia, then the, it's pretty clear where I'll be, where I'll have more gratification. So I took the risk and then I, I jumped into 3D printing yeah. and entrepreneurship. Yeah. But it was tough, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. So, yeah. Yeah. startup toughness experience, what's been experience? On the experience? On the, on, the, on the person or on the startup? Which one would you like to hear? Both. Uh, you'd like to hear both? Um, Sawa. 
I, I mean, it's it, 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 it will be meshed yeah, yeah, because yeah. one is the product of the other. Yeah? Um, when I began the when I began my crib, um, it's actually it actually has the name of my previous failed startup. So because when I began the new product line, I didn't have money to go for. Should I just tell you company? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I said, I have, I have, I have, actually at that time it was, it was a sole proprietorship. So I remember, I remember I, I was with my buddy, um, he's a very close buddy of mine, he's called Ransom. So you remember the day that Boniface Mwange went to parliament with the MPs, yes, yes. blood and all that. Yes. That was the day I registered my company. Because I remember we went uh, down parliament road. And then we saw a pig in the middle of town. We were wondering, wait, that is all. What's a pig doing here? Anyway, so um, when I began my crib, I had nothing. Yeah? I had, but I had nothing. I didn't have a comp. 99% of my work is comp. The 1% is delivery. Yeah? So I didn't have a comp. I didn't have a 3D printer. But then what I had was, was an idea. And the idea stemmed from a personal experience because I had... Uh, I, I wrecked my uncle and I went for surgery that um, motivated me to do to venture to this field. So when I began, I was I was first of all at a loss because number one, this one now it, it now becomes personal because all along I was seen I was known as a good student and I was going to be called a doctor, Doctor Moragori. Man, that thing. It's a nice feeling to imagine yourself being called that. But then now here I am, uh, I've abandoned that course. So the question becomes, now, who am I? You get, who am I? Without all the pomp, all my identity has always been pegged to, I've never been a top performer, I've never been number one. I think I was number one in class three once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that was the time. I was always the guy, up all, remember when I said top ten? Class, but then was stream, Coco, page 50, yeah, number 50, 68. I was in that 68. I mean, I was I wasn't a stellar student. I'm, I said, I was I wasn't. I was I was I was I wasn't I wasn't like the top top student, but but, but the thing was, uh, I've never been lazy. You have to get that. I've never been lazy. Um, I've never been soft. So, these are some of the things that, that I was able to carry. Now, here, here I was, no identity. So, who is now Chris? Sasa, you have to now model yourself anew. Yeah? Now, you have to struggle with telling people, no, I abandoned pharmacy to pursue this. So, now we start getting doubts. Back at home, your dad is, man, this guy, he had everything lined up, but then now he's taking this. Everybody is now confused. You know, it takes a kind of a toll on you, but then you really have to focus on why did I do it? And then you now just focus on it. Utakam could realize that um, the more you focus on things, there's a, there's, a, there's a lesson that my dad taught me when we moved to our new place and I was a small boy. He told me that before you get to this new place, you have friends waiting for you there. Even if you don't, you have friends waiting for you. So that was to tell me that it's okay to abandon, uh, to move. Moving is okay. So that was like the motivation. So I was able to transition from uh, that academia student to now an entrepreneur. It's like you're standing naked in front of everyone in front of yourself. So I was very, very fortunate 
that at that time was when Gearbox Light began operating there at uh, Bishop Magua, second floor. Uh, and, I, and I went and I spoke to Dr. Kamau Gashigi and I told him, uh, Doc, this is what I want to do. This is, this is the thing that I have and uh, I need your help to help me get it right. So he, he, he allowed me to use the space for, for a few months working on the three. I didn't even use the 3D printers. They, I was, the thing that I was giving in exchange was because I knew chemistry, I was able to prepare the reagents to clean up their PCB. The thing is, eh? So that was now the thing that I was giving in exchange. So I was there, I was seeing the 3D printers, I was learning the software that I was supposed to be using for my work. And then in time now, uh, I realized that I needed my own computer. I didn't have a comp, yeah? And at that time I was staying in my own KSQ that was like, <laughs> if you cook in the house, it becomes a sauna, steam bath, eh? <laughs> you know, so, so, um, your time, I used to, I used to call my cousin, he was working in town, Chancery, so I used to tell him, he's called Herman, I love him, so I used to tell him, uh, and said, he's comp at night, I learn, and then in the morning, and then I'm going to go and drop it, so that was how I was learning, you get, because if you're motivated enough, everything becomes an opportunity. You have to really understand. Say that again, please. If, if you're motivated enough, everything becomes an opportunity. Like, it's, it's, it's really hard to, to tell you the gravity or the truth in that until you're in it, yeah? So, uh, eventually I was able to, to get a small grant uh, where I bought my own 3D printer and my own laptop. But then, where will they place the 3D printer? Was in my own house. I was living in an SQ. So all my clothes, I used to fold them, put in a bag, and I put it under my bed. Because now the wardrobe was now my office. So I, I do the work, and then I feed it, and the machine runs. After a few hours, I go and deliver the model. So that has always been the case. You move from strength to strength, pole pole. Um, initially, it was... This, there's this thing that, that you have to realize if, if you want to, to pursue your own thing. There's a, there'll be um, an episode in your life where loneliness will be a friend. Rather not isolation, not loneliness. Isolation will be a friend. Because that is the only time we will be able to dig in deep and really do two things. You'll be able to master yourself and master your vision. Because when you are alone in your own house at... Uh, 6 p.m. Uh, and you've been working for the last uh, so many weeks or months continuously without trust. I think you now start thinking, what have I done? What have I done? What is this all about? At that time, it doesn't seem like a thing, but later on, you come to realize that those are your best days. I don't know. In a, in a, in a way, that is how it turns out. So for me, um, at that time, I, I now began realizing that what I'm doing is starting to have an impact on people. So I approached uh, one of the professors in the university and we wrote a paper. Now, here's a dilemma. Um, I've put my academia on break and I've approached the Department of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. It's, you know, it's like, it's like um, you suddenly, you, you've never been to the gym and then suddenly you remember to weights the heaviest weight you have to lift. You have to, if you're told you do it. Or if you put your mind to it. So here I was, and I wrote the paper, and it got published. So that was the 
the first publication that, that I ever had. And now that really started making people get start to notice that I'm doing something. But then at the same time, you also start getting a little bit of confidence. Yeah? You're getting a little bit that, hey, I can do this. You start doing even more. I can do this. I can do more. Your vision was this. So you realize that what I think I could, but then suddenly what I think I can do is slightly bigger. And then you do a big thing, and then it becomes bigger. And then a big thing becomes even bigger. Now, that has been my personal journey. Mbaka, uh, uh, right now, you, it gets to a point where hona wasiwasi. You're cool. You're collected. The, the, you know, if you're undecided, being, this is called indecision, yeah? Indecision. Yeah, indecisive, thanks. Indecisive is expensive. If you haven't made up your mind, you'll be like, um, you'll be like an atom oscillating in the same place, but you're not really achieving much. But the moment you decide on a particular way, you have to really focus on it and you have to go the distance. You don't figure katikati and then you look and then you say maybe or maybe and then you start chasing the shiny things all the time. You will never move. Uh, in life, you have to chase a few things and you have to make sure those things that you're chasing, they resonate with who you are. So for me, um, I began working on MyCrib, but then MyCrib began working on me. So that at the end of the day, you end up in a place where you are more or less more insightful and you are more confident in the outlook in life. And I think it's important. It doesn't have, you don't have to do a startup. You just have to do a thing. Even if it's a thing. You get what I'm saying? For me, for me it was make everybody can see. But the, the more personal one is I realize that you just have to do a thing and you make sure you've done it. Even if you could mop floors, go and mop the floor. Or mop it in such a way, even if the angels are in heaven, they were like, Jesus, that guy has mopped it. You get it? Yeah. So, awesome. mm. Questions? Actually, I have a question. It's really interesting you talk about, like, they start out in Kenya software, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. But the interesting part is engineers and, let's say, okay, let's just go back a bit. So, if you look at certain professions, like engineering, there's the engineering board, pharmacy, there's a pharmacy board. Mm -hmm. So, there's this kind of gatekeepers of those professions. So, I go back now to my question. So you find that these people, let's say in Thadia, fourth year, they're doing projects, they've built something, you know, they're doing something, but by fifth year, they've clicked back, oh, I want to work at Kenha, I want to just do this. At what point, uh, what do you think should change, especially in engineering, pharmacy, and medicine, to just get these people from that thinking of, I want to be, you know, a, a doctor, I just work in this hospital, I don't want to like, start something and really, a certain thing. If you look at software, the good thing is that the, the meetups, people just share stuff and all these things. But in engineering, formal, yeah, engineering, you don't meet civil engineers sitting down and let's try and experiment. Let's build a new type of tarmac. Yeah. So, what's your perspective on that? Um, look, what's the average age that people go to school? They begin school. At what age? Three years, four years. Yeah. Yeah. We, we mean, learn like you are four. So, um, and then you graduate at what age? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. 
My co-founder spent six years, seven years in uni. Mandela. Doing medicine. Mandela. Yeah, seven years. Seven years. He took a break to to pursue his own startup. Um, so here's the thing. You spent twenty years in school. And what does the school have? It has structure. You get it has rows and columns and it has a schedule. It has an eight to five, it has uh, a systematic and um, self-validating system. Yeah, you've done that for 20 years. It will take a miracle to break through that mentally. You get mm. so when you're in uni, you are dreamy. Think about the big things because all of a sudden, about a degree of freedom. Yeah, that you don't have. You don't have to be in class at 10. Or rather, eight to five. You can be a class at ten, a class. At, so you get a bit of flexibility. So for for this, uh, it's not even for only for engineering. The the, the bane for that that do not have startups or rather highly highly innovative and out of the picture kind of uh, innovation is because we we have had twenty years of conditioning of a certain way of thinking. That is why you find. It's preposterous for somebody who has left university, um, mechanical engineering or whichever kind of course, and to still strive for a job. Whereas they have the capacity to do whatever they want in whichever schedule and achieve in whichever way. But it is considered unconventional to have any other lifestyle other than the 8 to 5. That has been my observation. So, how do you correct that? Um, if I say that you have to start from university, I mean from nursery, I'll be, I'll, I'll be lying. I think it's important for people to take a break. If you can, career break. Small as the university can make it be a job, the, the job that's entitled straight to your career. I mean, seriously, you've only done four years of uni. It will never be enough to take you for the next 40 years. Of employment that's that's your thing so you have to take a career break and you start asking yourself the important questions why did I do uh, why did I do what I what, why did I do what I did in uni what did I try and achieve a question that you are asked when you are small which I think is a wrong question is what are you doing engineer pilot lawyer doctor you see but you, you are never asked what difference would you like to see in the world. A small kid is aware. If you ask, if you ask a, a kid who is five years right now, what difference would you like to see? They've probably seen, they were probably touched by someone who was unclothed or poorly clothed in town. And they'll say, I'd like to see those people better clothed. So maybe they want to be an advocate. Maybe that's the kind of area they'd like to be in. So you find that there's that systematic kind of way that people have been conditioned to think in a particular way. So how to break it? You take a break. Take a sabbatical. And you find it to different. Open up your mind. And then now at that time, start, start asking yourself the difficult questions, which are also simple. What difference would you like to see? And then once that has happened, you'll find that even the engineers and all these guys will now start um, thinking that I'm an engineer. But then I did not go and look for work at Kenna. 
I went and I and, and I farmed somewhere in Eldoret, and I was able to to see that these guys have this kind of problem. So I can be able to use my intelligence to be able to improve their lives. And then what happens if you put a girl of such education in grassroots? They're going to come up with a solution. And a startup essentially should solve a world problem and then you commercialize on it. So if you solve that problem for that person on the ground, they're able to commercialize. Um, First, like getting the grants for a startup and what can we learn from you? Dr. Gashigi, who links me with um, Vilgro Kenya and was able to get the first grant. So you see, he began with Dr. Gashigi and me sitting down with him and telling him the challenges that I have. Him seeing me every day there, first one at Gearbox, the last one to leave, trying to solve one problem, being frustrated, and then now he asks, what is it that I need? And then you get that. The other one is, if, if you are motivated enough, you and if, if you have a clear vision, you will be able to convince people to come in and support you. They don't have to be people you know, will be people that you don't know. Yeah, and then also the other one is, um, was it? I think that thought that thought in my body, something else I had, I had in my but but I've lost. Yeah. Any other question? Yeah, so like, uh, you who are your main users for the? I did not start the, the, the startup from a pharmacy point of view. I started it from a patient point of view because I was a patient initially and I had a real problem. My leg, I tore some tendons, fell, I, I sprained badly and then I tore a couple of tendons. Took like eight months before I went for treatment. And the reconstruction took longer, healing took longer, the bills were up, the experience was pathetic. So I began from that perspective. And the, the lesson that I had learned, my previous startup, I began it in a silo and then was hoping that, man, I have such a good product, the market will readily love it, shock on me, uh, it collapsed. So this one I began with the users. So I began it and I nurtured it with the maxillofacial surgeons within uh, the university and also private practicing. So that's why I began growing and all the insights became in from there. So you sell to the patient? No, the, 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 the buyer, okay, the, the beneficiary is the patient, but the one who pays, if the patient is insured, the insurance pays. If they're not, it will be cash or the hospital. We'll charge the hospital and the hospital will transfer the bill to the patient who will pay however. Yeah. How long did it take you to actually um, actualize this whole idea of yours? How long did it take to, for it to, to be a solid thing? Mm. Yeah, if you get it. Yeah, it's not yet a perfectly solid thing. Where I wanted to be. So, how long it took? The, the first two years. The first two years, I was very fortunate enough um, to. You know, we all have like two sets of parents the parents who birthed you and a mentor. So, I, I am fortunate enough to have a very, very uh, 
great mentor, school professor Simon Gudua. He's a <coughs> he's a maxillofacial surgeon. He's one of the top, 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 top guys. So uh, he, he he held my hand, and him being a professor, he guided me through a lot of research to be able to perfect the processes and get everything right to work on cases slowly, build a case, and then get the product right. Uh, so that was the kind of support that I had. It took, the difference between the ideation and the first case that we did was, I think, two years. Yeah, it was two years. And then the next one and a half years, it was continuous uh, hardcore work with him. Yeah. Until last year when the mentorship ended and he told me now the bird can leave the nest and reach it after yeah. That's when we began now uh, hitting the industry. Yeah. Did you give up like, a point in so <clears throat> give up? Did I? I didn't I didn't give up. Let me tell you why I didn't give up. You you need to have um you need to have a certain kind of there's a support system that you need and there's also the character that you have to have and the kind of character that you have to have is you need to be very tenacious you need to really hold on to something but then you also use your head you'll be holding on to the wrong thing yeah but if you're holding holding on to the wrong thing is if you are still doing something that is dead and everything if if, if you just take one step back you can see it's dead but not quite hard-headed. I don't think you be hard-headed. Saying don't quit. Yeah? But if you're going to quit, quit while you're ahead. It, it, it's no shame to say that this thing collapsed and I'm going to give up on it. My first startup collapsed and I gave up on it. But I learned. And then I visit on this. In terms of um, support system, um, my fiancé has been very, very supportive the whole, the whole journey. So there are days when... Um, Things are like, you know, when you're really doing something by yourself and nobody's really understanding where you're going, you need at least one person who will tell you, Sijali, still awesome. Yeah. If, if you're told that, it takes you like three weeks. Until <laughs> 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 the next. Until <laughs> the next. The next yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, uh, but, the, but it's true. Let me tell you. The, the, the informal thing that you'll never be told is you need correct life partner. Why ask a kid? This thing, people, people normally like to put it on the periphery, but if you have um, the correct life partner, someone who's supportive, someone who sees you um, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a good light, yeah? in the correct light of yourself, that's the kind of person who will bring you up. But uh, the other support system, of course, has been... Um, the the hubs. We have four fear about to fail. Uh, on your side, how do you define failing? Is it a success to you, or do you love it, or do you hate it? Failing. If you fail in character, you failed. If you fail in reason, you failed. Everything else is is very uh, temporal. It doesn't stick. If I come in. And I and I smack you in the head. You have the choice to smack me back or go the bigger person and you move on. So whatever you do, you you're going to find challenges. But the moment you're going to say that 
uh, this thing has affected my character it will affect my character i'll now be a liar i'll now uh, fake it i'll now game the system i will now uh, be a con and i'll now chase the the things that are passing i'll now chase fame and i'll now chase the gratitude right now once you do that you may fail the other failure is if you don't set goals people don't talk about that but if you don't set goals you still going to time is still going to pass but after time where you will fail in a way that you can't reverse and that will be the time when will be around 38 40 i'm not i'm not 38 40 but at that time we're going to realize that i am in this stage i did not set goals um, time has passed and i'm a failure now so if you fail to set goals you are planning to fail if you let your character change if you get uh, if you let your reason be affected you are failed but anything else can become a pesa pesa ukuje na enda bwana given our ecosystem right our society right now mm-hmm. speaking a lot of people optimize for just personal gain in a real sense mm-hmm. uh, it's a tough environment generally speaking mm-hmm. and the majority of people will opt for that for import i don't want to say easy path but yeah in a sense the character they sell their character or, you know the ends justify the means mean image tengenezea i've got i've got mine basically mm-hmm. right um that's a society that's an environment largely speaking in which you live mm-hmm. right it's in the newspapers every day mm-hmm. you know what is it that made you go down this other opposite path of integrity and and somebody who who you are what what is it that mm-hmm. made you different in this sea of of everything yeah um up the first one was um the bringing a bringing is key like uh, for me um my dad was always put us in the right path yeah uh, from a very early age so it's very hard for me to to lie or steal as it like it really goes very much against the the things that i believe so it will take a really it, it really has to be like life or death then get that's justified but then also the other thing is accountability you have to have a mentor and you have to have a mentor who represents the values that you're looking not where they are in life you get how someone has got uh if you if, if somebody comes here with a shiny range rover you don't know how he got there but he can really quickly sell to you uh this is let me be your mentor and i'll help you get there and you will buy it easier but if you look for someone who has the values that you seek yeah people learn through infusion you're going to get that character from that person for me uh, as i said everybody has two sets of parents the birth parents and the ones that mentor you for me uh, professor gudua he 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 I've worked with him for four years and I've seen how he does his thing I've seen integrity I've seen consistency I've seen hard work I've seen passion yeah I've seen compassion so it 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 it, it becomes easier for you to live up to the things that you can see the conversation that you have with somebody who's living with the ideals 
and the philosophy that you want to live with, it's very easy for you to pick it up and go with it. So for me, um, other than the fact that I have never been really interested in the shiny things, I've never really been interested in um, chasing after the biggest cars or the flashiest homes or the girliest shoes or the nicest phones. Other than that, I think I feel accountable. If I go out there and prof sees that Chris is a thief, I'll feel very bad and he's disappointed in me. If, if I go out there and then my small brother sees that Chris went and stole or Chris went and uh, became a conman, I will feel very disappointed. I'll feel very bad that I wasn't accountable to my small brother. So I think is that you have to be, you have to have the conscience that um, you are accountable to, to people. Even the people who are not looking, you are accountable to them. And, and to be honest, um, when I began, there was, there was another person who was seated on my seat. And I used to look up to him. Now, it's me <laughs> who's here talking to you guys. So there's a, there's a kind of character that I have to live with. Because when you guys make it, uh, which you all will, yeah, seven years, ten years from now, I would like us to meet and equal dignity, dignified people. Not guys who can't even look at someone in the eye because you know you did something to someone and it's out there. stuff man yeah. mr chris Baraguri, thank you so much you are so here in this in this in this battlefield man i can yeah. smell the smoke of battle on you hey, it's, it's dope man it's fine because your, your thought process is clear yeah there's no <clears throat> unnecessary words mm. which is pretty dope um i mean you're talking to folks who i believe need to be exposed to that kind of thought process mm. you know mm. i myself need to kind of always go back to the to the to the to the basics yeah um, because you, you never arrive right mm. Uh, mm. so mm. yeah you know um, mm. thank you so much for taking the time yeah thank you thank you for having me uh, and i think for you you're in a very lucky place because you you deal with the young guys so you continuously learn and see what's happening and that's a very unique place for for you to be in because let me tell you for free for free do not ever let money or fame inflating. When I get so let it do you conflate because you're gonna let me tell you if you work if you work uh, the way we have been working eight to ten PM every day for three years for four years you're going to move from point A to point B. Right? I do not want if you point B you you are a proud man. Don't let pride so, no. yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Awesome.